You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. You are now entering Magnified Studios. Welcome. Coming to you from Magnified Studios, Magnified Pod presents It's Hard to Find a Podcast. Covering your favorite indie bands from the 90s Christian alternative scene. Put your tape decks on record. I'm Andrew. I'm John. And this is our podcast. And mm-hmm. John, if there's anything I can say about these last uh, number of episodes, mm-hmm. it's that it's been very uplifting. <laughs> just, just feeling just encouraged and light, lighthearted and yes. full of hope. There's no more bummers to be had. <laughs> uh, yes. I don't know. Your, your, uh, your music listening though is slight, only slightly less happier than the population apparently though. Right. <laughs> that is, that is true. <laughs> Thanks to um, big trucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. The, the, uh music taste dot space if you guys aren't familiar with that website it links up with your uh your spotify premium account and it shows you your music analytics based on your spotify listening habits and <laughs> and i forget was it there wasn't big trucks there was a, a, a pedro song that was like like it was saying it was like my happiest song i'm like oof man it I was big a... trucks was it yeah it was uh they they rate big trucks as 97 percent happy uh but you are only 43 percent happy that's three percent lower than the average um i still think me being 43 percent happy is, is a <laughs> little a too lie. high <laughs> yeah <laughs> the the polygraph determined that that was a lie yeah, I need, I feel need like Rory to get on this. Let's get him on the pod. <laughs> Spotify is gonna be like, "You okay, bro?" To us both pretty soon. <laughs> like, you sure you don't want to listen to? Uh, I don't know, some LMFAO. <laughs> you need a little party rock anthem. Yeah. Well, sad indie jams aside, um, mm. you know something that I'm I, I do want to say that I am happy about is so I we've talked about some of the shows that we are gonna be seeing this summer Mm. and it just seems like every every week i'm adding another one to to my list i have so many in the next month (laughs) i know my my shows in in may through july are just out of control yeah but added to the list very recently uh coming to first avenue july 11th Japanese breakfast cool. with the Linda Lindas. Cool. So You're reunited with that, your beautiful daughters. I know, right? That week I will be it will be nothing but Asian queens. I have <laughs> Japanese breakfast, the Linda Lindas, and then later that Thursday I'm seeing Mitski. Oh yeah. So just just nothing but like dope women of color rocking yeah. out all week. That so rules. pumped about it. Never see Japanese breakfast. I've always wanted to. I haven't read Crying in the H Mart either, although I 
think Jenny read it and said she liked the lot. I want to read that. Um, Linda Linda's no Chicago date. So I'm like, are they going to play Lala? But I feel like they announced Lala and they're not on there. I don't think they're at Pitchfork. So maybe they still got still a date time. to announce or something. Uh, and Mitski is at Pitchfork. So I yeah. plan to see her this summer as well. So I know I was, I, it's one of those things that I'm sort of glad that Minnesota doesn't have one of those huge festivals like Chicago yeah. does because so many bands use that as their summer Chicago right. show excuse. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh God, if like, I'm, I've never, I've never been to Lala. I've never been to pitchfork. I've never been to riot fest because I hate <laughs> giant festivals. Yeah. I would much rather be in a room with a couple hundred people or less. Yeah. And being able to see the stage. Yeah. Mixed up in the pit if I want. You know, I have been to all those things. And some, I mean, the right act can work for that kind of thing. Sure. But usually I'm bummed out when I find out somebody I want to see is playing Lala because I'm not like going to pay. Hundreds of, hundreds of dollars and stand around all day with 18 yeah. year olds and wait yeah. in line just for a shorter show than I'd see normally. Um, yeah, like, like 20 minutes of them, like right. four miles away with yeah. some jackass, you know, 18 year old on her boyfriend's shoulders, like <laughs> blocking everybody like, no pass. I do love outdoor shows in the summer and if they're like headlining and you're close to the stage that can be a very unique and fun experience but if it's a band that i'd like rather be seeing in a dark room with the good acoustics and stuff i'm just kind of like oh man oh well um yeah so yeah i think the last lala i went to was when radiohead headlined and that was i don't know at least like seven years ago maybe and i felt far too old for it then so i can yeah. only imagine dragging my raggedy ass around <laughs> those fairgrounds now they don't they don't have uh they don't have chairs for the for us old no. yeah, out there no. it's rough out there i'm not gonna stand around all day with like in the sun yeah like no hell no i mean i sound i sound like old man shaking fist at cloud but you know sure. it's the reality is festivals are a young man's game <laughs> yes um well we will report back throughout our hopefully non-canceled months of shows coming up here yes and uh including page of the lion yes a week from and today i should mention this um just in case anybody happens to be listening to this on sunday night or the early hours of monday morning and you happen to be within reasonable distance of chicago i will be going to uh a sound opinions taping uh the podcast beloved show uh featuring pedro where he's going to do a short set and an interview and that's on monday may 2nd so probably by the time most people are listening to this it'll be over but maybe i can report back on that later uh yes. sound opinions having been uh produced for a long time by a friend of the pod andrew gill um so i'll report back on any you know unique insights or special hangs i get with uh, bazan next time Yes, yeah, so you'll be seeing him on May second. Yeah, as we're recording. And wait, then... wait, 
Sunday, Wait, you, May 1st. You're, you're seeing him Sunday, May 1st. Or... And then also Monday morning, May 2nd. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then I'll be seeing him in Minneapolis, May yeah. 3rd. He's going to know all about the podcast by the end of those few days. <laughs> he's he's going to be like, <laughs> like, can I get Andrew from Magnified Pod up on stage? <laughs> Anything you want to ask at this point in the show? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I have a question about Come Corner. No. <laughs> to bring Com corner back i did, I did. Um, <laughs> sorry can't help um, myself no he's gonna he's gonna be like oh, i've been hearing a lot of things about this podcast about me and uh streets are talking streets are talking i, I don't know if i'm into it but uh cool do your thing man be that <laughs> kind of vibe um that was a great impression so <laughs> all that summer concert talk has me a little thirsty dude same I'm back in weird beer territory tonight. Okay. Okay. And I got a very stellar local brewer. Brewer? Brewer. <laughs> uh, you know about Unane Ferris, Brewery? Ferris Brewer. Ferris Brewers, they are. <laughs> uh, Unane Brewing in Niles, which is okay. not too far from here. They are delightful and they have like a sort of imprint. I don't know what you call it, called Hubbard's Cave, where they kind of do their like most intense stuff i guess and i'm drinking okay. a french toast which is an imperial stout fermented with cinnamon maple syrup vanilla beans and lactose so we'll see how this goes 12 percent abv so you know <laughs> you get messed up bro <laughs> getting lit hell yeah um well i'm back on the booze game after Ooh. being re recovering from mm -hmm. being sick sure um and since this last weekend, I was in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I, of course, needed to grab a couple six packs of some new Glarus. Hell yeah. What kind did you get? Uh, I'm cracking. I have two beers down here right now, but the first one I'm cracking open right now is the Moon Man. Oh, yeah, it's a good the, one. The No Coast Pale Ale. Mm -hmm. For those of you who. Um, are not from the Midwest and have not had a chance to have any new Glarus. The only way you would get new Glarus is if you go to Wisconsin. They, their thing is to drink indigenously and it's a employee owned uh, only in Wisconsin beer. They don't distribute anywhere. So they want to keep their operation small and employee owned and uh they can consistent so respect yeah so they could they could i mean would people love to be able to get new glarus in the surrounding midwest states definitely yes but i just think there's something about making a brand and a beer a destination that makes yeah. it a little bit more special and a little bit more of a you're like oh shit i can i need to grab a case of spotted cow or moon man or no. Or, in my case, when I drove through last time, a raspberry tart, which mm. is delightful. I feel like their fruitier stuff is harder to find, but very tasty. I also have a, a two women, which oh, is yeah, their, also good. their lager. Enjoy a lager um, every now and then, obviously. Of course. Uh, this, <laughs> this French toast is intense. It's like drinking syrup, so... Well, I mean, it's, an, oh, no. it's, already, it's already an imperial stout. <laughs> and then it's like syrup poured in fermented syrup and vanilla and yeah it's 
Woo. Woo. Getting lit. Yeah, let's talk about songs about murder and suicide again, <laughs> baby. Hooray. <laughs> Feeling great. You know, John, we're not the only ones who are uh, pretending to feel great. We have other people who have shared their thoughtful thoughts yes. about the pod and uh, our recent episodes. And they've sent us some voice memos. They've sent us voicemails. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763. Let's, let's hit up some of those, those voicemails now. We got Matt. Hey, guys. It's your boy, Matt Jones, calling from Mount Vernon, Ohio. Super, super excited about this new season of Magnified Pod. I am a big fan of Pedro the Lion and David Bazan. Um, about 2003, uh, at Cornerstone, these two young girls, one of them was, uh, her name was Heather Winna. She's married or she is in a relationship with Steve Albini, the record producer, the, the engineer. So anyways, these two girls, one of which was Heather Winna, went to Cornerstone, and they ended up making a documentary, and it was called Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? Yes. You could actually, I think you can watch it for free on YouTube, Um, but they interviewed David Bazan, um, and you get to catch some of his live performances, like little snippets of, of 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 some songs. So... Parts of that documentary are worth checking out. The other parts aren't, aren't so great. But um, anyways, love you guys. Appreciate everything you do. I am so excited about this new season. And I uh, hope you guys uh, just have a great, great season. So Magpod for life. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks, Matt. Um, I have. I have, feel like I've heard yeah. of that, but I've not. I, I don't think I've ever seen it. We may have talked about this documentary at some point on the pod um but yes uh came out in 2004 and i got sent a copy when i was working at sojourners around that time um and i watched at the intern house that i lived in and of course abzan plays a central role and as one of those uh, interviews that, that's in there's a bunch of interviews in the documentary i think mxpx is in there maybe possibly mm. i don't know were they still at cornerstone 2003 um I don't remember, but it is interesting. And my memory is that Bazan is sort of the most interesting part. And that was right around the time that he was infamously performing at Cornerstone drunk and then was banned (laughs) uh, from the grounds, which is part of the uh, Strange Negotiation stock that we'll get into in more detail in a few weeks. But I forgot the detail that Heather Winna uh, was Steve Albini's uh, partner, um, which is fascinating. Um, but yes, uh, there's also a, uh, I think it's a new relatively recent book called why should the devil have all the good music? Maybe that's what um, I was thinking of. Yeah. That one is also about sort of the history of Christian rock, but also focus specifically on, uh, Larry Norman, the sort oh, of the okay. father of Christian rock. So that's probably what I was thinking of instead and not the documentary. Okay. Yeah. Both interesting. I think he sort of coined that phrase. Uh, sure. But anyway, yes, I remember that as well, Matt. We got Paul. Hey there. Uh, my name's Paul. I'm a listener of the podcast. And uh, I've been thinking I got to send this story for the control episode. And then I see, oh, look, it's already out. Hopefully you can find a use for this. 
so I've got a story about going to see Pedro the Lion when they were touring Control. Um, I live in Winnipeg in Manitoba, Canada, and my sister is three years older than me, and she went to university at a place called Queen's University in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Now, when I was 18, which is, I think, I think I was about 18 when Control came out. I was either 17 or 18. Um, Pedro the Lion was playing in Toronto, which is, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour from Kingston. So I talked my parents into flying me out to visit my sister at university. Nice. Awesome. So I uh, go and I get some tickets for myself and my sister and a bunch of her friends from university want to go as well. And uh, it's at a place in Toronto called the Horseshoe Tavern. Um, so it's a, it's a bar, which means that you have to be of legal drinking age. Now, where I live, the legal drinking age is 18. So doesn't even cross my mind. Boom, I'm 18. I can totally go. And then as we're getting closer to me, uh, you know, flying out there, I, uh, it occurs to me, the legal drinking age in Ontario is 19. So I am not old enough to go to this show. So I mentioned to my parents, hey, we're going to see this show in Toronto at a bar, and I am not old enough to get in. Now, again, I'm perfectly legal in my home province, but mm-hmm. not in Ontario. So about two weeks beforehand, my parents and I spend that entire time trying to find me a fake ID. Amazing. Just the very notion wow. of getting your parents to help you find a fake ID so you can illegally <laughs> go to a bar out of province always struck me as a little odd. But eventually, I found a guy who made me one, and I went, and the show was incredible. Uh, and oddly enough, the Foo Fighters were doing a live show a block away uh, at Much Music... Uh, uh, yeah, much music at the corner of Queen and John in Toronto, which is right by the Horseshoe Tavern. So I got to see a few minutes of the Foo Fighters for free on the street the same night. Uh, yeah, that's all. Really love the show. I hope you find a use for this. Take it easy, guys. Bye. Thanks, Paul. That is an amazing story. It's a Canadian story. Shout out to your parents yeah. for helping you get a fake ID. I like that's an only in Canada thing. <laughs> yeah, but I think, yeah, but like, it's kind of bullshit. Like eighteen and nineteen, like those provinces, what those are they crazy doing? provinces. Paul's parents are like, oh sure, it's. I think it's about time you went to a show. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll find you a fake ID. Um, this so pa- <laughs> this Pedro. Sounds like a, a real nice fellow. Now it's just like sort of becoming Minnesotan. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a blurry line. <laughs> it's a, it's um, a blurry line. It's, uh, that's an amazing story. Props to your parents. Sounds like an incredible night. What a cool family. Um, I had fake IDs in college. My parents didn't help me with them, and they were poorly made, and one resulted in a near arrest. I won't get into those details right now. Um, but it sounds like you had a better fake ID going than, than mine. Um, so glad you were able to do that. Were you mostly using those to get into shows or was it nah. also <laughs> <laughs> nah, it was for drinking uh, it, was, it was for the drinking yeah this you may was... remember uh, me getting banned from the brewing view slash the vic for life <laughs> yes i do remember you telling... <laughs> lifetime ban that, lifetime ban uh, changed in two weeks when i went back and nobody noticed but um, <laughs> that was because i put my id 
in my teeth as I was going through my wallet and I took it out of my teeth and it had like blurred the like image on the ID. I was like, this is not going to fool anybody. <laughs> that doesn't happen to real IDs. Um, and the rest is history. But anyway, I'm glad it worked out for Paul. Yes. Uh, and also awesome, like a sort of like a double feature of sorts, getting to see Hell a little yeah. bit of the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters. Yes. Much music is like a store, right? I feel like I, I or much we, music is a channel. We have a, a handful of consistent Canadian listeners, and I, I, I gotta be honest, guys. I'm I'm so uneducated about so many different parts of the different provinces. Yeah, that, it's, like, it's really a shame that us like upper northern americans even are like wow we have no idea what's going on like 20 <laughs> minutes north of our border i know uh, for real i mean especially me like it's not that far from where right. i live in minnesota to get to canada and yeah. i i gotta get my act together and i need to make it a here's what we'll do i'll put it out there like um if there if there's some stuff that in canada our canadian listeners that we gotta we've gotta make some some destination spots, you know, that are obviously reasonable. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, for me, Ontario is yeah. obviously one of the uh, one of the closer provinces. Yes, you got so, Thunder Bay up there. Yeah, easily accessible. But yeah, I think it's often like, well, that's close to Toronto, right? And they're like, no, that's much further east. <laughs> like, how do you not know this? And we're like, sorry, um, we're yeah, dumb. Well, let's see a little propaganda action up there. Who knows? Ooh, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. also, like, Winnipeg is, like, it's pr still pretty far, but, I mean, like, that's also... Relatively it, close. It's, it's, it, we'll say it's doable. Yeah. Closer than Toronto or Vancouver, uh, which are the only two most people know. And... I've been to Vancouver, but that was forever ago. Um, we... What we really need to do is what we discussed uh was mm. with a uh, chris mcgrath a much the same as do a montreal tour Ooh, magpod yeah. live magpod in montreal uh going up there and seeing some bands play pop that punk is alive sick. and well up there that'd be super fun anyway, uh, well, someday yeah, for sure and i've also always wanted to make it out to nova scotia yeah that'd be great prince edward islands you know that just it just all all looks so so beautiful. Anyway, I have a feeling I'd feel uh, more at home in Canada. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. Well, why don't we start by getting you feeling at home in Minnesota? Yeah, working my way north. Then we can discuss. Yes, slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. Hey, we got some Robert Gay, who we hey. shouted out last week with his his cover of a Pedro song from yes. some years ago. Hey, Magpod, it's Robert Gay, <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to say I've been having a lot of fun diving back in for this season, and um, it's a really good time to be uh, listening to Pedro the Lion because they're on tour, and tonight right. is Tuesday, April 19th, and I just saw Pedro the Lion play live in Nashville, Tennessee at Basement East, oh, yeah. and they were great. They played as a three-piece with... Uh, Dave on bass and a guy playing like lap guitar and a drummer and it was a really cool setup. A lot of new material from the most recent two albums, Phoenix 
and uh, Havasu, and it was great. Uh, also ran into my mentor, a great writer, uh, teacher, Dr. Dark. Uh, yes. Dr. David Dark, and also Derek Webb. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that they were nice. both hanging out, watching the show. I know they're friends of Dave's as well, uh, Bazan. But anyway, um, thank you guys for doing what you're doing and sharing the spotlight on Pedro because uh, I feel like it's right up the alley of that uh, Christian alternate scene, and it meant a lot to me at the same time that I was growing up with bands like MXPX and Five Iron and, and all of that. Yeah. Um, I think it's really cool to explore the way faith gets broken down and to have people like Dave Bazan who are uh, making that accessible for people to ask questions that maybe we didn't feel comfortable getting to ask when we were growing up. Uh, Magpod for life. <laughs> also, P.S. I think I sent you guys uh, a cover of Mr. Whole Fixin' Man from way sure back did. in like 2008. So enjoy that or not. <laughs> Have a great day. Magpod for life again. <laughs> Bye. Bobby G. Bobby G. Yes. Thank you. He. I don't think he's made it to that yeah. episode last week uh, where, or the previous episode, not last week, but whatever. Yeah. But we did cover Mr. Mr. Hall fixing man. We sure did. Um, that rules. Yeah. I've said before, I, we need to, that's another place we need to do a Nashville Magpod stop. Oh man. See our friends down there. But mainly I want to meet David Dark, who I have followed for a long time. And I think he's awesome. And I want, Robert to make me his friend. I want to um, hang out with Derek Webb. What Derek a, Webb what a, too. What a cool show to just be like, just rubbing elbows with David Dark and yeah. Derek Webb, Dave Bazan. Hell yeah! And and of course Bobby G. You know, of course the, the big the big four. Big four. Um, yeah, Derek Webb very topical. We were just talking about was there room to cover him this season or sometime on the pod? Uh, Cademan's doing that uh, Kickstarter um, mm. for that new album. Uh, so maybe it's, you know, Derek Webb's in the air. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's time. You know, it's something interesting that, uh, that Bobby G brought up about so, just sort of alluding to the kind of the, the questions and, and the, the shifting of faith that Bazan went through mm-hmm. and just looking at all of the bands that we have covered mm-hmm. in these past a few seasons that I don't, I, th- I think that Bazan is unique amongst all of them, even though some of the bands, maybe they have personally or individually changed some of their views. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of that was entirely necessarily coming through in the music. Sure. Right. You know, maybe Mike Carrera's uh, views have changed, but Maybe that he's not really writing about that. Maybe sure. uh, over time, uh, you know, obviously some members of Five Iron, their their religious views change, but that's not always coming through in the music uh, because yep. Reese is writing the lyrics. And and so I do, I do think this is a very unique uh, season yeah. uh, in that we get to have these conversations about the lyrics and not yeah. just about our own individual experiences. Right. So I think that's, uh, it, it's just another, another way for us to talk about these things. Not just, not just us, but 
the the depths of Dave's. I'm just gonna call him Dave, you know, because we're yeah. we're buddies. Yeah. But just his experiences, um, and as these albums go on, getting a sense that he's maybe starting to get a little bit more personal, especially yes, this album. I think we're starting to crack a little of that facade of those uh, only writing in in stories or in in fiction, but getting maybe a little bit more personal yeah definitely um yeah as we've talked about a lot we're analyzing these lyrics from 25 years ago and then we talk to the songwriters today and they're like i've changed a lot since then yeah um and not necessarily getting the opportunity to track that progress through their records in the last 20 years you know a lot of these bands broke up and then now they're talking to us possibly they reunited but they weren't necessarily going through the last 20 years like Dave has so it, right, yeah, it is right. interesting to watch that sort of process um, throughout all those records. So, yep, good stuff. Uh, we got our boy Jason in LA. Hey guys, it's Jason out here in LA. Um, driving to work right now, three in the morning. Uh, I just have to talk about Control, which is my favorite album. Uh, yeah. Great, uh, episode you guys did. One story I have about Control, I was once listening to it on a CD Discman, going to a youth workers conference back when I was doing that, and I was, you know, rocking out, you know, listening to this girl goes, oh, what are you listening to? I go, oh, Pedro the Line, and she's like, oh, can I listen? And uh, so I hand her the headphones, and (laughs) the part of the song of Indian Summer that she gets to listen to, I think it was, oh, gosh, the name of the song, but... Uh, it wasn't Indian Summer, but the part of the song where it says that way they'll naturally get used to the taste of corporate cum. It is Indian Summer. Here. And the look on her face was <laughs> poor, and I was like, all right, I'm going to be in trouble because this girl, her brother was a youth pastor, so she never said anything, but she just gave me this look like, okay, this is what you're listening to going to a youth workers conference. But hey, Pedro uh, the Lion. And then another song, uh, Rejoice. Uh, I can yep. really relate to that past, I guess, three to five years going through divorce and yeah. uh, custody of my children has been hell. Um, I've felt that way. I still have faith. I still go to church. Um, but recently I have been angry of God just because I haven't been able to see my kids as much as I want to. Um, other stuff, right when I thought things were going good, um, the shit hit the fan big time. Um, I won't go into details, but it's been it's been terrible. Um, I love my daughters more than anything, and my ex-wife just takes them away from me. Um, and I know that song I can relate to because it seems like we have to rejoice. Because I've heard when I saw Pedro the Lion one time, he talked about that song. Like you guys talking about, he was saying it is sarcastically saying like. As Christians, we're supposed to rejoice even when we're going through tough stuff. But you guys keep up the good work. Um, hey, thanks, man. Um, Jason, we love you, buddy. I'm, yeah, I'm really sorry to hear about how things have been going lately. I hope that, you know, the music and the pod and the scene can be a little bit of a comfort. You know, you can always call in and share with us what's going on with you and uh we're glad to hear it but yeah it's i'm sorry yeah. to hear that man 
Yeah, I can't, I can't begin to, you know, obviously, yes, I've been through divorce myself, but this, Mm -hmm. this kind of, I I can't imagine. So we love you, man. Of course, Magpod community is here for you. And, you know, we always got your back. That's right. What's the 21 second one? What what's this one you you wondering? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> that's a first. <laughs> that's a first. That is a first. The cackler. Flush in the toilet. Yeah, his surprise has taken four seasons to get a toilet flush, but <laughs> it's true. the The Foley work. He's he's really stepped it up. Yeah, and he really yeah. There's been a <laughs> cornucopia of sounds this season. I know it's a, it's just a symphony, uh, beneath the, a symphony of uh, what was it? <laughs> Are you talking about the mattress creaking beneath the, the, the symphony the, of misery and calm? <laughs> yeah. Hasn't quite been that kind of symphony, but no, definitely not that kind of symphony. <laughs> um, thank Incredible. you, Cackler. <laughs> thank you as that. always. <laughs> All right, we have an email and a uh, voice memo from Joel Kircher. Uh, he wanted to talk about control. Gentlemen of the Magnified Pod, my name is Joel. I'm from uh, the Ithaca area of New York, Finger Lakes region. More Ooh. specifically, I live in the town of Burdett, right next to Watkins Glen of NASCAR fame and beauty. I mean, uh, I got to shout out Watkins Glen real quick before I forget. I have been to Watkins Glen because out in that area, is uh, a farm sanctuary. All oh, right, yeah. And it is, yeah. And I did stay. I did stay in Watkins Glen at the uh, base of uh, Seneca Lake, one of the Finger Lakes. And it is a beautiful, beautiful spot. Lots of lots of wine. Lots of places mm. to drink wine. I mean, Watkins Glen State Park is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Anyway, if you're ever out here, drop me a line. Uh, I thought I'd share a few thoughts and experiences that center around Peter the Lion, as David Bazan is probably the single most influential musician, artist, writer, and possibly person in my life. Hmm. I won't share all my stories with you, but uh, I thought I'd share the ones that are kind of more pertinent to the podcast. Um, I first heard Peter the Lion in 1999 at Cornerstone. I had kind of heard of and told been told by several people that I would like Peter the Lion. And so I went to see hear the set, and I really keyed in on the songs um, Lullaby and uh, Criticism is Inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he really stuck out to me as a person who was saying things that I didn't think you could say in Christian music. And let me tell you, I was in Christian, well, Christian and Christian music, like so deep in the culture, you know, I, I didn't really listen to quote unquote secular music at the time. <clears throat> and so it was so exciting to kind of find someone who was edgy and challenging and really 
already um, a voice of reason to the things that already bothered me about the church a little bit. But the next year, Cornerstone 2000, um, there's an acoustic set, by the way, from Cornerstone 2000. If you ever find yourself a bootleg, uh, listen, listen, listen. It's beautiful. Um, you know, he was doing hymns and stuff and, uh, and acoustic versions of a lot of songs that you guys have covered on the pod. And uh, really, really good. Um, I've listened to the bootleg over and over again like it's one of his albums. Um, but when he played his electric set, second best was the new song that he played. And I was prepared mm. for that to be my number one song for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, Starflyer 59 had kind of moved on from the heavy distortion, driving rhythms, shoegaze. And I was kind of feeling a void in my life. And uh, second best filled it. So like, I ordered the record of um, Control. And that was when vinyl actually came on time. I got that record <laughs> on release day and uh, put it on, and the album was not like that. But it was better in a lot of ways. I was in a really difficult place in my life. Um, my relationship was uh, separated. My marriage relationship was separated. My wife had cheated on me with my best friend. So, like, this album was about me. Totally missed all the social commentary. Not totally but definitely didn't really register much of the social commentary or um, societal commentary other than just like recognizing, Oh, well, that's about the environment. Oh, that's about the cynicism of business. Um, but uh, like um, magazine was number one because I realized, uh, you know, through my recent experiences that, you know, we're all good. We're all wicked. And if we're going to judge ourselves on that binary transition, one minute we're one, one minute we're the other, none of us are all of one or all of the other. We're all capable of way more evil, bad, wrong things than we thought we were capable of in the first place. And that became my number one. And when you guys did that drum sound, uh, or talking about the drum sound, and somebody goes, <laughs> I got upset yeah, because funny. I was going to do it in this message and, you know, add something to the conversation and you are already recognizing exactly what I was keying in on was the incredible presence of those drums. I, to this day, I still play that song in my set uh, when I play live and uh, it's a mainstay for me in my life. So that's my number one song on the album. Control Options is number three. Joel, thank you for your message. Um, and for you know uh, sharing so honestly about yeah things that were going on um something happened with the message it it uh got cut off or uh, i don't know got corrupted at one point so i'm not sure we missed like a big ladder chunk of your uh message um but you indicate in your email uh, you said that you mentioned it in your message. We didn't hear it, um, but there was a, uh, you have a song that you made, Love is a Business Proposition. Angus McKinney, was that the name of the band?
stayed in a different state than when I came. Only wanted to leave this state alive. Some noisy as hell <laughs> rock. Pretty cool. I could see the control influence there on the yeah. <laughs> uh, sonic uh, nature of that. And I could see, you know, you mentioned Starflyer. I see some of that influence too, probably. Definitely um, the, the the super distorted vocals. Yes. And yes. the, yeah, everything just being loud and fuzzy and dirty. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks, Joel. Uh, yeah. Go check out uh, angusmckinney.bandcamp.com for more of that, folks. Uh, thanks for calling in and sharing that, bud. Um, we also got an email from Sarah. She said, uh, hey, guys, I discovered the pod about a year ago, but kept it on the back burner because Pedro slash Bazan has always been more my pace than the other music you discuss. So as you can imagine, I was excited to see you guys delve into the series. I've been following Bazan since the beginning. And like many others, his faith journey uncannily parallels my own, along with other random synchronicity. For example... The album Phoenix was released short, shortly after my cousin died who lived in Phoenix. Seems random and meaningless, but when combined with other instances, it's not. Anyway, for a super fan, I've actually only been to three that I can recall of his shows. One, Christian College with an opener who had candles lit on the stage. It was very strange. I hit a deer on the way back with my parents' van. It's like, it sounds Woof. like a traumatic and memorable evening <laughs> yes uh two club in seattle alone on my birthday i had just moved and had no friends yet three house show where i accidentally was able to talk to bazan for about 20 minutes because i snuck into the kitchen to get a beer after the show and he was there i didn't realize there was a line forming behind me because i would have felt bad and cut the conversation short real genuine guy also did i mention our sons were born within a few days of each other um i don't know if that means her son and Bazan's son, or I think so. Yeah, I would assume so. I don't know if she knows when uh, when your when your <laughs> boys birthdays are. are. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, thanks for letting me ramble. Bazan has been a lot to me over the years, and I'm really enjoying the deep dive you guys are doing. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Sarah. Um, um, I would love to be able to go to one of those house shows, but I feel like if I had a chance to talk to Bazan, I would probably say something stupid. It's one of those things where you it's it's when you have such a short amount of time to talk to somebody you feel the pressure to say something meaningful right and and i think i've talked about this like if i were to ever meet someone like weird al who is one of my mm -hmm. musical idols if we were to say that for somebody who's been in the business for decades and has met you know thousands and thousands of people how do you say something that he hasn't heard before or something that's sure. like, I don't know, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm being too cynical about someone like Bazan first. If I were to be like, you know, I, my journey and your journey seem to have paralleled and it's like listening to your music now, it's meaningful. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm being too cynical than assuming that that wouldn't be important to him, but like, I don't know. I think that's partly why he does what he does. I mean, he, you know, he definitely, I have seen many a living room show. You will get the chance to, I mean, you'll get the chance to talk to him very soon, but like you're saying, that's at a club and maybe 
you know, you're under the pressure of time or whatever, but like he certainly hangs out when he does those house shows and is approachable and down to talk. And I think a lot of people express similar things to what you're saying now. And he appreciates the idea of sort of continuing to hold space and have a community for folks who maybe don't have a home to discuss that stuff as much and, and find it in his show. So I think that's meaningful to him and he would enjoy hearing it. I don't think he'd be like, yeah, you and everybody else, buddy, where's my free beer? Um, very nice dude. Every time I've encountered him. Um, and, you know, speaking of shows, mm-hmm. we put out a question of the week mm. about maybe some of the most memorable things they've seen at a Bazan or a Pedro show. And we got a shout out here, Kathy Kaz, who said, I've seen him 35 times. Next week, I will see shows 36 and 37. Uh, the shows with the orchestra were my favorites. Uh, he, paid, he played with the uh, Passenger String Quartet, which there is an album of those songs, which people should check out if they hadn't heard them. They're like orchestral versions of his songs where he sings and plays guitar and there's a four-piece orchestra behind him. Very cool. Um, along with my first time in 1999. And that made me think like, how many times have I seen him? And I tried to like roughly count them out. And I think it's about 20, which I shared with you. And you were like, I have not seen anyone 20 times, which Bazan is my one act I've seen anywhere near that many times, I think. Maybe like Dylan Jafour, I've seen somewhere in that range because I saw them so much growing up. But they're my only one at that sort of level. And I'm like, 20 times is a lot, but 37 is a lot, a lot. Um, she said 23 years in 10 different cities. Uh, other favorites were the Christmas show in Portland, which yes, is Christmas shows are very special, and Beauty Bar in Vegas in 2010. So anyway, um, memorable shows. Uh, thanks, Sarah, for writing in. Uh, yeah, maybe maybe you'll get the chance to add your experience, your memorable talking with Dave experience soon, Andrew. I hope so. I hope if I do get a chance to talk to him, I don't blow it because... Talk about the cum corner. <laughs> Literally, what? Uh, no, don't. I can't. I won't. Don't even put <laughs> put that in my mind where I accidentally bring it up. You're gonna be like, uh, so, no, Dave. so, Dave, on, on our podcast, we have we have this bit. It's about cum. Uh, I gotta go. <laughs> you're gonna be so in your head in the in the pod world where you're gonna be like, ah, oh, Dave. You know, it's been it's been a while since <laughs> I've been listening to your music, and uh, it's been anyway. a while. It's, been like, a while. <laughs> it's like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Hey man, I'm kind of like done for this part of the evening. <laughs> oh man. Um we got one last voicemail from our boy Tyler who uh indicates some less than stellar audio. Hey Jim John. Um y'all taking a week off. I figured I'd squeeze in a voicemail was a little behind. Um so I'll start with the pigeon line background. Um I saw Bazan at Cornerstone, Florida. Um, he was opening for um, the stage before Me Without You went on to the last set of the night. Um, so I became an instant fan of Me Without You after the show. It was my first time seeing him live. Um, but I really didn't get into, I wasn't really into Bazan that much. Um, I saw him again in 2010, uh, once again, opening for Me Without You. And I was uh, definitely in a, in a more right place to kind of understand his stuff um, and get a little more enjoyment out of it. Um, I remember being really impressed by his voice live, especially. Um, I didn't really get into his stuff until Phoenix came out. Um, I really liked that album. Um, and so I, once again, was seeing him in Me Without You in 2019. Um, so I did, you know, a deep dive listening to all the albums and stuff, um, at least the Pedro stuff. Um, 
so I could I could you know prepare for the show. Um, if you did play penetration at that show, which you guys were wondering um, if he plays that live still, um, saw him again just a few days ago on April 20th. Um, it was a small crowd, but uh, one of the most attentive crowds I've been a part of. Um, I'll keep it vague as I don't like knowing set lists before seeing someone, um, so no spoilers. But he played some solo stuff towards the end, and uh, he kept waving the band off as they were coming back on um, because he wanted to play um, more songs, I think, you know, partially because the crowd seemed to be you know, respectful and into it and was kind of feeling the mood. Um, all right, I'm going to go on to episode thoughts now. Um, feel free to cap me off at any point. Uh, if you put this in the episode, I'll even give uh, Magpot for life now, just in case. Thanks, Tyler. Yes, that uh, you were correct that the audio was <laughs> a bit tough to hear. But um, yes, thank you for the no spoilies for the, the set lists. Uh, I, do, I do not like spoilies. So uh, I, I am, you know, I'm getting excited. Like so many people have been saying like, oh, I just saw Pedro, just saw Pedro. So now... I'm really excited, you know, that yep. people have been like saying no one's been like, oh, God, he's sucked or like he blew, <laughs> like like if, if everybody were like, oh, man, he's clearly, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm just getting really excited yep. now for these shows. No, it seems like streets are talking and the buzz is very positive on the shows <laughs> in this tour so far. Um, thank you, Tyler. <laughs> Patreon punk. Well, thank you to everyone. As always, please continue sharing your thoughts and ideas, your voicemails, your voice memos, your emails. I got to say real quick, Danny Stairs, this is the longest stretch I think we've ever had without a, without a Danny Stairs voicemail. So I know it's, it's, it's almost like, uh, indie rock isn't his thing. It's not his thing. That's fair. I don't know. This seems like, a seems, I don't know. He was, he's always been like our number one guy, number one, our very first Patreon punk, you know, our very first voicemail, you know, it's like a bunch of bullshit to me. Yeah. It seems now that I think about it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, like kind of like fuck him, I guess. Maybe he's like better than us. This guy over here thinks he's better than us over here or something over here. Oh, we're just calling sometime. But yes, thank you, everyone. Uh, it's been a while we love to get thoughtful thoughts from all you folks yes speaking of thoughtful thoughts yeah got some thoughts of our own to share yes so you know john we've been doing winner's circle Mm -hmm. lately uh where we've been talking about things that we want to move into the winner's circle whether it's something out in the world or something we've experienced personally that we consider a win Mm -hmm. but sometimes i don't feel like a winner sometimes things are tough yes and and sometimes things feel more feel less like a winner circle and more like a loser's lounge Mm. and so today we need to induct somebody into (laughs) Our very first Losers Lounge. <laughs> Certainly the internal monologue sound that this person has probably been hearing for a long time. Yeah, so we're doing a shared Losers Lounge this week because I just didn't feel like we could not talk about Elon Musk and his 44 billion dollar purchase 
of Twitter. Yeah. I can't imagine a more profound, irresponsible, soulless, evil use of money. Yeah. Than pouring that kind that that level of resource into the cesspit of social media. Yeah. And for what to make purpose? it worse. <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. unequivocally, <laughs> yeah. To make it worse from a guy who claims to be a free speech absolutist who blocks people who call him out on shit. Yeah. Um, look, I block people, but I'm not out here proclaiming to be like better than everybody because I want to have an open forum for Nazis and white supremacists and people like Trump who spread misinformation about the election. Right. Uh, and I just can't imagine like, let's just um, just think for a second. A billion dollars. I know. I was gonna just like bring just this a, up. Yeah. Just a single billion dollars, right? And I think some people don't realize and don't like think about the difference between a million and a billion, right? It's an outrageous difference of yes. that kind of money. Yeah. And and think about what forty four of forty four amazing charitable organizations. Right. Could have done with a billion dollars. No. I, I mean, can't I can't fathom or wrap my head around the motivation other than just being like I saw some tweet that's like men will spend 44 like really spend 44 billion dollars on buying Twitter and just not go to therapy. Right. Yeah, yeah. or something like that. It's the ultimate example of that. Yeah, like Oh, I just it it's it's infuriating to me. It's yeah. it's heartbreaking and senseless. And like, how many we got? Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post. We have Elon Musk owning Twitter. Like, how many more oligarchs do we need in this country? Right. Yeah. I this is that's the first thought that I had with all this is you've you've mentioned this a couple times on the pod where you're like, let's break down what a billion dollars is. It's yeah. like an incomprehensible amount to have a billion dollars. And this person has enough billions that 44 spare billion, 44 billion are just like, oh, I got that laying around that will not really impact me in any way so that I can buy the social media app and own the libs or whatever. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, it, just a, apart from like the horrendous, it's like a perfect storm of, awful things where it's like this particular person owning this platform at this time as you know midterms are heating up and will trump come back on and all this stuff and like apart from all of that just the fact that like billionaires should not exist but this person having you know an extra 44 just to sort of be a toy and to play around with something that you have on the side it's just it's a reflection of the completely broken state of our world that should not be allowed to exist and yet you know could he have a huge impact on the effect of climate change could he effectively end world hunger could he have a huge impact on poverty oh, he was going to except he didn't he didn't because twitter is more fun yeah um 
so I just, you know, I, it's, it's staggering to just think about the implications of the kind of person who has that much wealth and how his whims determine the course of our world and democracy. It's not good. I just like, what is he, and he's worth like over 200 billion or something like that. Yeah. I think I said this was like a sixth of his overall net worth. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's, it's evil. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The, yeah. No single person should have that level of resources. And some people might think, I don't think many people listening to our pod would think this. That I'm sure there are people that think, oh, you're just jealous of his level of, of wealth and success. And, you, you know, if you could have, it's like, I, if I had that level of resources, that would be another example of what's wrong with our, the country. Like people that sort of disproportionate uh, allocation of resources just shouldn't be. It right. just shouldn't happen because that just is an indication of just gross injustice. Right. This is a tiny pool of people determining the course of events for the rest of us in humanity. Yes. And the more we accept people like that buying, you know, social media platforms that have been a lot for democracy or the white house or what have you i mean the more we accept those decisions which means the less and less accountable they are and those people start running things without us questioning it anymore and it's a uh, i don't know if you've heard this andrew but the world is a bad place interesting um, especially lately oh um, i did not heard yeah no hellscape um but in that case, uh, yeah. I should probably crack one of my other beers. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know. It's not, uh, it doesn't bode well. Maybe it won't be all things terrifying that it could be. But even if it's not, as we're saying, just the fact that this happened at all is like enough to sort of give one pause about the state of things. So, like, when did we stop caring about monopolies and oligarchies and, and competition? Like, right just how many how many more things can jeff bezos and and elon musk own before somebody's like oh maybe that's too many things right yeah maybe at some point we're like requiring you to do something for the good of the world right um and now it's like and i just i can't give less of a fuck about the dick measuring contest that's going on between Elon Musk and Bill Gates and and Jeff Bezos, these billionaires right. like sniping at each other. It's like, right. oh, God, I just just fucking stop. It's so unbearable and so gross and uninteresting. I have no <laughs> I have no interest in them going after each other and taking pot shots at each other. It's like right. this is so childish. You're like the richest men in the world. And yeah. Just like all of you need to go to therapy. Yes. I can't think of three people more right now that need therapy than those three dudes. Yeah. Well, maybe, I guess yeah. Trump too, but like, well, sure. I, I mean, he's goes without saying, but like these guys, all people who have very public uh, breakdowns of their <laughs> relationships. Yeah. And, just like not great things being said and, and no. coming out. And it's like, just get off the internet and go talk to somebody and like right. be better. Yeah. Just be, stop. Oh, you know, I, I would even take stop being so bad. Like 
you can just like maybe you can work towards being better but like just stop actively doing harmful shit you're here uh may we have more winner's circles in our future than losers lounges um but time will tell <laughs> time we'll will see where tell we're at with each record but in until that day <laughs> Yeah, the official sound of late stage capitalism. <laughs> um, having said that, yeah, who wants some more bummers? Uh, <laughs> you take a break and uh, get into Achilles' heel. Yes, um, gonna do that. We're going to cover the final Pedro album for the what first is it? Iteration. The first, yeah, the first iteration. So like the. For uh, fifteen year stretches, fifteen it? years, yeah. We go yeah. from we go into David Bazan discography at this point before they finally mm. took the name back for Phoenix. Yes, a few years ago. So yeah, so you know, some people might have thought that at this that at this point in in his career, you know, another Pedro album was a foregone conclusion. Mm. Well, I do think that we'll get into that shortly. So keep swinging. <laughs> All right. Well, don't start without me. All right, sounds good. Um, I'll drink more of this poison. What's it called? Yeah. Okay. Bye. Hey, John. Hey, you're a you're a fan of punk, right? I think so. I think so too. <laughs> so, have you heard of Small Step Records? Hmm. You know the name is familiar, but but tell me more. Well, Small Step Records is a faith based DIY record label with mm-hmm. bands that are melodic punk pop punk easy core emo and ska and they have some new albums and new bands releasing records right now on all streaming services and you should check them out bands like home plate which has like an easy core vibe so if you're fans of newfound glory or four years strong you should check them out. You got Grandpa Loves Rhinos, mm-hmm. which is definitely got like a pop punk vibe going on. Andrew, not only that, Ooh. they are Magpot's first official sponsor. Oh, really? Starburst got nothing on these guys. All mm. right. These guys are the real deal. <laughs> uh, the tagline is love God, love others, listen to pop punk. You can go to smallsteprecords.com, check out the cool records and merch and bands they have, and we will be, through their generosity, offering some giveaways in the coming uh, weeks and months uh, on our socials of some of these Small Step Bands records. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Also, John, unlike some record labels, which may have come up over the course of the podcast, the artists on Small Step always keep 100% of the rights and ownership of their music. Yes. So... Any money that goes to Small Step goes directly back into supporting the bands. That is huge deal mm. when it comes to supporting artists because oftentimes band puts out a record, they don't own their music. But this is yep. this is a, a, a label with integrity, so you yep. love to see it. Love to see it. Small Step, check them out. Smallsteprecords.com. Hey guys, 
guys, my name is Matt Langston. I am a music producer, a mix engineer, and an avid unicorn enthusiast. And I would like to invite you over to my podcast, 11D Life. On 11D Life, we get to talk to your favorite artists, producers, and creators about what makes them tick. We take deep dives into where they get their juiciest inspirations from and how they keep from being cynical about all of it. We even get to pull back the curtain on my band, 117, and share some fun insider tips and tricks for our fellow bandmates and creators out there. So be sure to check out 11D Life right here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network and wherever you get your favorite shows. We're back. Yeah, we are. Talking Pedro. Talking Achilles Heel. Yes. Achilles Heel. Released May 25th, 2004 on Jade Tree. Is this uh you didn't you didn't uh hear this one? I did when not it came out. I did not, no. Is this your first time processing this album? It is. All right. Well, I'm very curious to get into it with you. I have some sense of uh, some portions of it and how it's affected <laughs> you. Um, but I love this album. Uh, I remember getting it in my campus mail post office box uh, sure. at the end of my junior year of college. Came out just after it ended, being extremely pumped for it. Um, and I remember at the time thinking it wasn't quite at the control winner's punky thing punky leaning thing that i had been into um but that i liked that it was getting weirder and synthier um it kind of got more adventurous with this record and even if it wasn't exactly as in line with my vibe as maybe control and winners were i liked that things were he was going to some interesting places the synth lines are front and center now a lot of the hooks on this record are built around them which i love um I think it sounds great. I think it's real adventurous producing and songwriting. And it was also the first, as far as I know, album of his to chart. Uh, Got to number 24 on Billboard's top independent albums and number 26 on its top Heat Seekers chart. And it got pretty good reviews. Um, I think it was a well-liked album, if maybe not the sort of classic that a lot of people consider Control to be. but yeah, as you said, this is this is the sort of final form of Pedro 1.0. Uh, T.W. Walsh was really the only other kind of permanent longer term member um, who is all over this record, co-wrote some songs with Bazan um, and continues to remain involved with him in a lot of ways. Um, but this was the last record they made together and the dissolution of that group, you know, him and Tim Walsh was sort of what prompted him to go solo along with a few other things. Um, but, but T. William Walsh also mixed and mastered Cursey Branches. Uh, they play in the band Low Tom together, who I don't think we've talked about much so mm-hmm. far this season, but that, that's Bazan, Walsh, uh, Jason Martin, and Trey Many of Valor 100 and Starflyer, which we'll get right. into both of those. Uh, but they've got a couple records out that are interesting as well. Pretty um, just kind of straight ahead 
electric guitar driven rock but very enjoyable Hmm. um but uh yeah this record was on on vocals guitar bass synths percussion drums tw walsh on guitar bass drums synths uh james McAllister, who played with sufjan a lot and still does on percussion drums and synths um engineered by bazan and walsh like i said i think it sounds great um and mixed by chris colbert who will come up again because he has uh engineered or worked on joe christmas marilla's forest starfire bon voyage michael knott kevin max damien gerardo stude has done a lot um so yeah i i have always been uh, a big fan of this record it is a little i mean it's not it doesn't have the sort of concept album thing that winners or control does um and it doesn't have the sort of sentimentality that it's hard to find a friend does for me but it occupies this unique space among his his discography before he started getting kind of a lot weirder with Bazan solo stuff um and I always took the title of the album Achilles Heel to sort of be like about his connection to his faith or to the Christian world like that being his Achilles heel his weakness sort of being like his faith or his connection to that I don't know I could be off there but I get the sense that his faith is sort of hanging by a thread at this point on this album, which he kind of acknowledges in a couple ways throughout, but that's how I thought about it. I don't know. How do you, did you take it any specific way? If you look at the artwork, obviously somebody could be like, Oh, it's, it's a lion. It's Pedro the lion, but Mm -hmm. I don't know. It could also be. If you unfolded it, that he was shot the lion had been killed and there's somebody pointing a gun at him and then the cd itself was like a bullet hole in the lion with blood coming out of it so okay perhaps some metaphor there uh perhaps a precursor to pedro dying (laughs) i don't know also Um, also fair i don't know yeah as somebody who didn't have the uh any of the artwork itself but yeah um i do i will say this that one noteworthy difference is coming from control to this record the drums are pulled back and are very much more restrained and simplified and i don't know if that's because bazan is not doing much of the drumming this time around or since because he's got a bunch of other people doing filling in on drums too or or what or if he just like wanted to go a completely different direction but i I do find myself missing some of some of not that every album needs to be wild drums but right missing a bit you know not not constant crash cymbal land like (laughs) on control no i agree i i think that you know he's he's a capable drummer and and can crank it up when he wants to and pull it back when he wants to. And I think he never quite it again, again, had it at the level that he was doing the boom baps on control for. And I do kind of miss that, but I do think it's just cut. Yeah. It's different sound with this project. I will say T.W. Uh, T. Walsh was usually the drummer live in this era. So perhaps he was playing less, but I think he, I don't know. I think they kind of shared things. He sort of plays everything. So who knows? Um, it is sort of a trade-off in sound and again in sort of favor of the synths which would become increasingly uh the focus of a lot of his sound until the reiteration of 
Pedro rising from the ashes like a phoenix. Um, I also wanted to mention uh, Jessica Hopper, who is a Chicago music critic. Uh, I love her stuff. She is a longtime writer, and she was she did PR for Pedro on this record. Um, and I remember that because a few years later, she did a cover story for the Chicago Reader on Bazan and sort of his evolution that was around the time of Cursor Branches and that story played a sort of prominent piece in sort of the re um, introduction of Bazan to the music world and this idea of it being a breakup record with God. So anyway, she is uh, an interesting person. It's interesting that she was doing PR with him at this point. Um, yeah, I, I've got a lot of, like I said to you off pod, my three, my top three were pretty evident to me going in and I've got a lot to say about those songs in particular <laughs> and sure. a fair amount about some other songs and not that much about others but I've got <clears throat> I've got some things to say a lot of things to say about some of these so should we should we dive in yeah I do want to say one quick thing because mm -hmm. I did it again John oops <laughs> I did it again uh -huh. I read the Pitchfork Achilles Heel review don't do it don't do it man <laughs> And and here's the thing, like this guy started the interview, the interview, this guy started the review off by saying that um, he said that he artfully conceived a righteous corrective of all the bum raps David Bazan has received over the years, both from this esteemed institution and others. And basically saying like he wanted this album to like prove everyone wrong. And then he like goes on to say. Uh, then I heard the album, but um, so here's here's what I'm going to say about I just think so many of the people that are seem to review Bazan can't get out of their heads a faith with fucking nuance. Well, he has a neck beard, Andrew. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed that. Uh, oh, shit. You're right. Oh, <laughs> never mind. This album sucks. Yeah. 4.1. The the frustrating thing is like somebody can be a, a person of faith and have conflicting a conflicting sense of what they think about their faith. And right. I just wanted I just feel like I wanted to say that before we get into the record, because like I obviously I'm a person that grew up Christian, had a lot of this tension that Bazan talks about in much of his discography and mm -hmm. uh, I'm no longer Christian Bazan's no longer Christian but I can I, I still hear these songs and I hear the I hear the tension he lives in the tension which is yeah. so what some of these songs specifically are talking about yes. and they're these people who either aren't Christian or anti-Christian don't understand a faith that isn't black and white. Right. Right. And that's, what's so fr frustrating to me that they can't th for, for people that do music reviews that are, have their ear tuned to nuance. This mm -hmm. nuance is just completely lost on them. And it's very yeah. frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if their central hangup is the Christian thing and they could just never get over that. If anything, I would think something like this would be interesting to them because it's a person basically being like, I don't really 
believe a lot of the time and it's hard for me to believe i would think that they would be like that's a, a refreshing you know new way to approach this material but whatever i will say i mean pitchfork aside they it looks like uh, this album got a 71 on uh metacritic which is like you know a compilation of reviews so that indicates generally favorable reviews which is my memory of how the album was received where it wasn't it wasn't really making like top 10 lists, but I think pretty, pretty warmly received on the whole, uh, which is kind of how I felt about it as well. So, but yes, uh, often uh, confounding to secular critics over the years. Yep. All right. Well then enough of that. Let us get into the actual music. Let's do it. Bands with managers. My number three. Uh, my number three as well. Yes. Um, I love this that, song. That falsetto, you cannot oh, so deny it. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, no like he... denying that falsetto. And the the chord progression too is yeah. This is like to me, this song feels quintessential Pedro, mm. slow core, mm-hmm. gr- like a very Pedro chord progression and i i'm 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 super into it yeah i i really feel like this is the album where he starts to push himself vocally and you know some folks were talking about seeing him live in sort of later 2000s being like oh wow actually this guy has like pipes and like he always sang well but he really starts to use his register and use that falsetto a lot and sing out and like yeah, this just really starts to show that off. Um, this is another one for me that like I mentioned with second best where it really kind of came alive for me when I saw it live. Like I liked it on the record, but something sort of unlocked, um, especially when I saw them uh, perform it as the Undertow Orchestra, which was this mm. thing that Undertow Music, which is the uh, management company that Bazan is under, he toured with Vic Chestnut um, and Mark Eitzel of American Music Club and Will Johnson from Centromatic, and they sort of played each other's songs. But there was something about when they did that song and slightly different interpretations from the guitar players, but that sort of crescendo of guitar parts, especially that comes in with the end 
just sort of like, oh, wait, this song is sort of like blowing my mind a little bit. And I think, as you said, it's not unlike other Pedro songs and it's sort of um, chord progression and melody and stuff, but it's like there's weird spacey keyboards going off in the background yes. uh, as it sort of reaches its heights. And like, I don't know, the the climax is sort of what makes it for me. It's like these building guitars, the synths does, are going bro. crazy. <laughs> um it's like i'm seeing uh, it's like jesus <laughs> he's welcoming uh, you to the promised land the promised land um but yeah the synths are just going wild and i think that sounds sort of emulating for me this like spinning or like dizziness of he's talking about the van rolling over yeah um and just sort of giving into that idea so if we could maybe hear that at like 146 when it really starts to kind of go to the next level Walsh getting that call out in the song <laughs> that's right I mean he's sort of I always took this as being like you know so he's saying he's sort of accepting his role within the musical landscape is how I took it like compared to the success of these bands with messy hair and smooth white faces who maybe aren't driving themselves around on tour in vans anymore he says vans with 15 passengers are rolling over but I trust he William Walsh and I'm not afraid to die <laughs> it is sort of like making peace with like you know, that can happen, but I'm submitting to that. I'm a touring musician. My band is with this guy. I, I, I trust this guy. We're in this thing together. And I don't know, there's something sort of beautiful about like, as I said, picturing this van rolling over, he's giving into that idea. It's sort of this euphoric feeling. And he's like, yeah, I could die in this van, but I like this guy and we're in, this is our band and that's where I'm at in life. And I should say too, that, that part I mentioned last week on the show, the song, June 18th, 1976, um, which is a beautiful song of his often live when they get to that part he sings speeding toward the ground which is a part of that song and he sort of melds them together in a really cool way so i love the song <laughs> um yes and i think we've we've talked about this a lot over these last four seasons but i think this might be our very first it won't be all right a song that we've discussed <laughs> right yeah right, <laughs> we've, right. we've talked uh, at length at <laughs> that every punk band in history has a song about how everything's going to be all right but of yeah. course with pedro <laughs> that it won't be all right yeah this is the this is the maybe distinction between <laughs> punk seasons and an indie season uh not it gonna it won't be all right yeah, I think, and how I take that is almost like he's all right with it, maybe not going to be all right. You know what I mean? Like accepting like, hey, maybe we're not going to be a huge breakthrough band. Maybe I'm going to die <laughs> in a car crash on tour. But like, that's okay. Like submitting to the piece of like, maybe everything's not going to be perfect. I don't know. I find it like moving in that way, but I could be overreading it. <laughs> no, I think that's, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair read that he's he's not going to he's saying look 
bands with managers who are glossy and got their shit together, they're going to be all right. Right. We're driving our shit around mm-hmm. and we're probably going to be rolling over. So it's <laughs> right. Yeah. It probably no won't be. It might right. be, but maybe not. Right. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's a, I think that's a reasonable thing for someone at that stage in their career to sort of make peace with is like, if I was going to make it big, it probably would have happened by now. So what does it mean to sort of be a professional touring musician? It means choosing people that I want to be around and making the best of it and being yeah. at peace with that. I don't know. I think it's, I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, foregone conclusions. Mm-hmm. This is my number two. It's my number two as well. We might have oh, the same top three this time. Shit. Oh shit! It might happen. Is it happening, John? <laughs> I don't. What will? What would happen if we had the exact same top three on a Pedro record? Was hmm. this? Does the? Does like, <laughs> like black hole open up and the universe like collapse yeah. in on itself or something? I think Bazan shows up in a Zoom window <laughs> and he's like, "Hey guys, where'd you get it?" <laughs> um, <laughs> Again, another perfect impression of David Brazil. <laughs> um, yeah, the song rules. Uh, I mean, musically, like I like that country twang yeah. lane that Pedro goes in at times. That tambourine in the chorus really yeah. propels it for me, kind of swings along. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of what resonates about it for both of us, I'm guessing, is this you know, what he's talking about is this like inability to, to, to talk to each other, talking past each other all the time. And kind of like what you're saying with like these music critics and folks like that, where it's like, you can assume what this guy is and he can assume what you are. You and I are nothing more than foregone conclusions, but maybe that's not the way to actually, you know, sort through things. We can think of each other as these absolutes without actually getting to know each other, our context, our nuances, as you're saying, and, you know, saying, hey, maybe we can actually have a real conversation about this where it's more nuanced and it's not as easy as giving like a pat answer on stage or whatever. I also like uh, whether or not he's what perspective he's taking this first verse, if he's taking it from uh, a view yeah. of someone else or, or or from his own perspective, I think it can both it can both be kind of yes. uh, interesting if he's saying from his own view being like i don't want to believe a lot of this stuff is true right like he could be talking about the bible or he could be talking about yeah like parts of christianity he doesn't want to believe to be true but he could be persuaded 
or it yeah. could be from the perspective of somebody who doesn't believe yeah. and a conversation with them saying the, the uh, them being open to having the discussion. Um, yeah. But I do think that's a, an interesting way for like, if we could all have this openness to just listening to each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think the line is as if some new information were possible to comprehend or introduce, like yeah. that we're going to have this conversation about the Lord, but mm-hmm. nothing you're going to tell me is right. going to be new. <laughs> right. Like, totally. It's like, if somebody's like, I don't know if you know this, but the wage <laughs> for the wages of sin is death and you need to accept the Lord. It's like, Oh my God, really? Might've heard I, this before. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if I've ever heard that. Yeah. I need to accept the Lord. Um, right. Yeah. I, I see this song and the next one as being very linked. Yes. And I think if I understand it correctly, the conversation he's having here is with a certain type of Christian who's frustrated with maybe the public face that Dave is giving to Christianity at that moment. And then the next song is somebody maybe who's not a Christian and Dave having a conversation with them and being like, well, here's why it's useful to me at this moment. That's how I've always seen it. And, you know, what I appreciate, like you're saying, is it's sort of acknowledging in the song that like that conversation that they have, that's probably good to do still isn't likely to change either of their minds you know what i mean it's like this 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 bleeds thematically into the next song too where it's like he's at the stage of q a's does anybody have any questions at this point in the show (laughs) and people saying are you a christian and like this this relationship that he has of, of fans asking questions and him trying to answer and trying to fans asking him to articulate his faith were like such a staple of the pedro experience at this point that I think he's trying to address that tension in these songs. So as you said, he's had other songs where he's like, I would have a heart, I would have an easier time if I saw some proof. That's right. sort of an ongoing theme. And he doesn't get that, but it's like making sense of what it means to have faith even without that. And then, yeah, also being like, but let's acknowledge we're never going to, we're still not going to change each other's minds. I think what, um, <laughs> I, I want to read this next part because it's what we say to close out our show. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I like the chord progression that comes in with this part too, but you know, he says you were too busy steering the conversation toward the Lord to hear the voice of the spirit begging you to shut the fuck up. You thought it must be the devil trying to make you go astray. Besides it could not have been the Lord because you don't believe he talks that way. Uh, I remember hearing that on the first time I listened <laughs> through the song and loving that so much that maybe like (laughs) this person who's convinced of God being a certain way. Right. And convinced that they're representing God through this form of evangelizing is what God wants. Then maybe the spirit saying to them, Hey, shut the fuck up. Like (laughs) this actually isn't helping people see the gospel. Right. Um, And instead of taking stock of that, convincing themselves that no, actually this must be Satan telling me this, this is not God. And just like, that's such a, profound and succinct way of being like perhaps you're off in your certainty about things and maybe make room for the spirit to tell you something else and maybe the spirit sounds different from how you imagine the box that you've put uh the spirit into you know what i mean so right i i love that part so much yes and the yet we're still so tightly wound around mm-hmm. our foregone conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. 
Another great line. Yeah. Well said. This well guy, said. This guy, Dave, Dave Bazan, I, I've heard streets are talking kind mm. of good lyricist. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, the fleecing. Hmm. Number one. Number one, baby. Yeah, we did it, Joe. <laughs> we did it, Joe. <laughs> When's the last time we had the same top three? I don't. It's, it's been a while. It's been a while. It, I, I don't, I feel like it's the number of times it's happened is on one hand and probably yeah. only like a couple times. And it maybe was, I don't know. I, it, we're, it's, yeah, it's, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, I, I have so much to say about about this know, me song. Too, man. Me too. And uh, this is one of the songs on this album that makes me very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to. This is this is so. Foregone conclusions and the fleecing were two songs that the person from Pitchfork took issue with mm-hmm. because he was saying that. You know, he's he says, while Bazan nastily skewers the kind of Bible beaters he's not in foregone conclusions, uh, he turns in an unbelievably limp defense of faith just one track later. The fleecing appears to be a form of response to his hipster detractors, but crumples under vague answers and a flimsy sheep metaphor, ultimately coming off as preachy as people blindly expect Bazan to be. Like, this could not be more. <laughs> Right. Incorrect in just about <laughs> every conceivable. Yeah. Like preachy. Like I right. can't, I can't think of an artist who yeah. would have called themselves a Christian being less preachy than right. Bazan. Like the, from album one, he was being pulled from Christian <laughs> bookstores and Christian right. record stores. Yeah. As somebody who did not follow his career, 
closely. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine late teens and early 20s, Andrew would have been just infuriated <laughs> still yeah. by these. And I can't imagine, of course, as as Bazan, who true like as somebody who, like I assume Dave Bazan is an Enneagram four, uh, <laughs> to be so not understood would probably right. be so yes, painfully frustrating to be like, no, you're missing, which is yeah. why I think ask he's like, and he's so like ask me a question. What do you, what do you want to know? Right. And and, and then there, but these people still don't fucking get it. Yeah. It's just, okay. I just wanted to call this out and be like, I, I like how you, how you pointed out how these songs are kind of linked that they're Mm -hmm. different conversations with different people, but Mm -hmm. he's again, the nuance he's like, yeah, I, I, I doubt it, but I still believe it, but it's, this is not preachy. This is right. I God, it's yeah. so frustrating to me. I guess I guess I could see the idea of like, okay, this guy has a song sort of answering to his detractors. And the answer is sort of like, look, I'll tell you why I believe it. And being like, oh, that's preachy. But to me, it's like the posture he takes is like let's have a conversation. And in that conversation, I'll reveal to you, like Mm. most of the time I don't feel anything. (laughs) I don't feel a connection to God. And that doesn't feel preaching to me. That feels like, Hey, look, I have these beliefs, but like, I, you know, struggle with them and, and they're not absolute, which feels again, the opposite of preachy. Right. Um, Yes. I remember reading, I think an interview where he was saying like, basically on the first tour, like early on people, all people were already being like, Oh, I love how this song is about this. Or like you meant this in this song. And he'd get really pissed off. Cause he's like, that's not at all what I meant. And I like constructed it this way specifically. And then he's like, but cr- pretty quickly I learned to just be like, people are always going to interpret it the way they're going to interpret it. And I have to sort of be at peace with that. And sometimes it's even interesting, but yes, I think it was sort of difficult for him to get to that place. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read all of the lyrics as we, <laughs> as we go through this. Cause I have yeah. so much to say and to ask about each section. Um, so fleecing means like the shearing of sheep's wool. Right. But it also means getting swindled. Like if you got right. fleeced. Yes. And I guess that's how I always thought about that is like, yes. he, he isn't sure if he is a sheep feeding in the pasture of the Lord and accepting being fleeced in terms of like, that's what it means to believe, or if he's actually being fleeced by the whole idea of belief. And, you know, I, I think the story may come from this um, story in the book of judges where Gideon asks God to like confirm God's will by laying out a fleece on the ground and says like, make the fleece dewy in the morning and the ground dry and then I'll know that it's your will. And that's what happens. So I don't know if by referencing that, Bazan is saying like, he doesn't have that same evidence that Gideon did, but he believes it anyway. Um, you know, even if it's conditional belief or it's barely there, which again, we're kind of back to like secret of the easy yoke territory. where he's just like, honestly being like, you know, a lot of time I don't feel you at all. And, right, right. Um, so 
Yeah, he starts the song, Deep Green Hills, whose shoulders fade into thick gray, tall, wet grass, whose flesh makes fools of grazing sheep, whose fleecing makes a fool of me. It's so like beautiful and lush. Like that's such yeah. cool prose. I love this deep green hills is how it starts. And yeah. Thick gray and tall, wet grass. It's like an English class where you're like, I know. remember to put in details and like, <laughs> I don't know. I still kind of can't make sense totally of that metaphor, how he phrases it. But the way that those like low harmonies come in. Oh God. So rich. It's, do you know who it, you like, who it makes it makes me think of Stephen Merritt from the magnetic fields? Yeah, totally. That's a good comparison. I could this is, you know, not unlike uh, you know, uh magnetic field song in some ways. Um but yeah, so I'm already just like, whoa, we're in a weird place. I mean, I love that. I love the melody of the song throughout. That synth line in the opening is perfect. Yeah. I love the guitar sound immediately. I think the drums are doing some cool fills on this song Um, and how it kind of quiets down for the verses. And then those low harmonies come in. But I've never totally understood. I think what he's saying is like, the sheep's fleecing makes a fool of him. Whether that means he's made a fool by expressing his faith and like regretting how he does that. Or if God isn't real, then he's made a fool by expressing that belief or having that belief. Or is it like in the way that Gideon sort of was able to get some hard evidence that that makes Bazan a fool for not believing, you know, Gideon gets that evidence and is like, Oh, that's sort of, made a fool out of my doubt is that what Bazan's saying so it, maybe there's that but i'm like why why are the sheep why does the flesh of the grass make fools out of the sheep i don't know <laughs> what were you gonna say i get i you know, as you were talking about gideon and getting the god's will uh proof of i guess whatever god's will was also made me think about uh, you know as we just had Easter just passed and mm-hmm. and I always feel like Thomas got a bad rap yeah, yeah. and people just getting you know, calling him doubting Thomas and right. how he was only asking for the same level of proof that everybody else got yeah that it's like right. everybody else got to see the Lord and he revealed himself and and Thomas is like yeah you I mean you guys are just being like dude this guy's back from the dead he's like uh i don't know i'm not gonna believe it i'm gonna need a finger in this guy (laughs) i'm gonna need to get a little bit more evidence right and then and then so now he's become an example for the last you know two thousand years like you know you gotta you know bless are those who don't see and still believe and it's like all right you know but that's not really fair so all these people are getting their evidence i don't know am i a fool for like not asking for more or Mm. like believing it and not having it because other people have it it would seem at least in the Mm -hmm. bible right maybe that's what he's saying like i'm a fool because i don't have any reason yeah i still don't get i still don't quite get the you know the the grass's flesh makes fools of grazing sheep right and then the sheep the sheep's fleecing makes a fool of him unless you're sort of going with the whole idea of like sheep you know, calling follower blind followers without critical calling thinking sheep. sheep. Yeah. That like they are made fools because they're just sort of cool to chill and eat the grass and go with the flow. Um maybe, maybe yeah, maybe it. the maybe the 
the sheep just hanging around in the wet grass just yeah, chewing right. and eating their shit and just hanging yes. out and they're just whatever they they're right. they're fine to just hang out on those thick gray <laughs> wet hills <laughs> that sounded like weirdly sexual for some reason <laughs> so, so, um hey you know <laughs> I'm 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 just reading his words. I know. I love it. They're so evocative immediately just Ooh, from those words. Those, those hills are so deep and <laughs> thick and wet. How tall is that grass? <laughs> um let me see that flesh. <laughs> yeah. So just immediately that that language and the the voice he's using for the harmonies and the yep. moogie sound of this I'm just like we are in a cool place here. Okay, so the chorus who shall I blame for this sweet and heavy trouble for every stupid struggle? I don't know. I could buy you a drink. I could tell you all about it. I could tell you why I doubt it and why I still believe. I feel like there's so much there to impact to you. <laughs> like, yeah, we're doing a dissertation on the song, but I love the idea of calling faith essentially sweet and heavy trouble where it's like, and he's looking to, to blame someone for it. I know. Like, I know it is such a good way. It's a sweet trouble because he appreciates the faith that he has and, and the richness of it, but it is a, a heavy one and he doesn't quite know how to process it. And every stupid struggle that he has as a result <laughs> of his faith or trying to live out his faith or trying to make sense of the world. I just think it's such a good way to sort of name that and process that. Yeah. And then he's like, well, listen, again, we're back to kind of like how he approached the conversation in, in foregone conclusions. Like, I could buy you a drink. I could tell you all about it. He's like, if someone says like, what do you believe? Or why do you believe in God or whatever? He's like, I don't think whatever 10 second answer I could give here is going to do justice to the idea of why I believe what I do. Like we could talk about it and actually talk through it um, and why I have doubts about it, but ultimately why I still believe. So that's, I love that. Um, but then it's the next part. Oh the my second God. verse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is this is the part that pushes it over for me. Yes. yes. Because I'm just like, this guy's a four. And like there's not a <laughs> yeah, doubt in yeah. my mind that like that yeah. Dave That's and I should could... ask him. <laughs> a thousand percent. You know about the Enneagram bro? No, bro, you want Enneagram four, bro? You wanna go <laughs> you wanna go like hug and cry or something? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Um, he says, so, you know, I, so we could have a drink. I could tell you about it. And then he moves into, but I can't say it like I sing it. And I can't sing it like I think it. And I can't think it like I feel it. And I don't feel a thing. Oh, no, I don't feel it. It's just like, oh, my God, every line hits. Where he's <laughs> like, know. hey, look, we can go talk about this. And that's the correct way to sort of talk about our, our faith and our beliefs. But just a warning, like, I'm not going to be as eloquent in this conversation over beers as I am with these songs that I make. And the songs don't turn out as eloquent as they are in my brain when I'm imagining them. And I can't even really articulate them in my brain in the way that I feel this. Yes. And here's where my faith is at. I don't feel anything. <laughs> yeah. So like, and he's lamenting that. Yeah, he's acknowledging that that's part of it. And he's like, okay with that. But also that like, part of faith means sometimes I don't feel anything. And in this moment, I don't feel a thing. Right. So he's like, even if we had this conversation, where I'm not going to say it as well as my songs say it, my songs don't say it as well as I feel my faith. The bottom line is like, 
I don't feel anything. So I'm not going to be able to say anything better than like, look, I don't, I don't, I can't express it because I don't even feel something that makes me want to believe right now. I just think that's so honest and powerful. And again, gave people permission, I think, who are hearing this to be like, oh, you can say that like, I don't feel a thing about God and that's okay. And he's still not saying, at least at this point in his life, in his discography, that not feeling anything necessitates not having any belief, you know, or belief in God, at least. And like, that at that point, he's like, I don't feel that all the time, but that, that doesn't mean that I don't have those beliefs still. I don't know. I find that very meaningful. God, I mean, me too. I, I recently posted something on Instagram, the, the line from a Harry, from a Harry Potter book where Dumbledore introduces the pensieve mm-hmm. and how he's like that he has so many thoughts and memories, you know, filling up his mind and that he finds it helpful to like put some of them into the pensieve. And, and then I hear this song and I'm like, when you, cause when you think about how you think something and how you feel something and how you like write something down for somebody like me too, who's like, I, I, ha- I feel, I mean, we, you and I are both highly sensitive, highly sensitive, yes. highly sensitive person. Um, and highly sensitive people feel their emotions and things and just like an extremely profound and, and deep way. So like when I feel something, an emotion, it, it is, hard for me to convey necessarily to somebody who isn't highly sensitive why something is just so overwhelming and and then to to get to the end of the song where he says uh we'd have more drinks we would speak of so many things but Mm -hmm. i don't know you and you don't know me right these people who are like you christian bro and then it's like well we could talk about this but like are you i i'm gonna have a hard time explaining this and you don't really know me and also i don't know you and are you a safe person to discuss this with can i trust you with all of this and if you if you unload if i unload all of this complexity of what I'm feeling, are you going to like hear it and see it? Right. And again, he's kind of continuing that theme of the last song where it's like, we could get into all this if we actually had the time to sit down and go through complicated things, but we don't actually know each other. So reducing these giant concepts to unnuanced positions without that context isn't actually helpful for a public discourse on faith or and what it means to live out that faith because Um, you have your foregone conclusions right exactly yeah so just yeah to close out just before the the part you just referenced he says you know uh he he again brings back i could buy you a drink i could tell you all about it i could tell you why i doubt it and why i still believe it and why i need it and what the pharisees don't see we'd have more drinks we'd speak of so many things but i know you don't you know me and then as Cortland Coffee referenced when he was on the show. Yes, 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 yes. Bazan continues to play the song after, you know, publicly expressing that he no longer has a faith in God. Um, and he changes why I still believe it and why I need it to why I don't believe it and why I grieve it. 
and changes and what the Pharisees don't see to how I was blind, but now I see. And that's not the, the that's, that's an ongoing theme of him of sort of using this evangelical language to describe his deconversion, you know, to say the, the blindness was being, um, it was having the kind of faith that didn't allow for sort of critical thinking and the being able to see is coming away from faith. And I just think, I think it's really cool that he continues to play these songs and work through them in new ways. And it's still just as meaningful. Those changes are still really powerful to me. Um, but yeah, I love the song. I love it as it was written when it came out. I love the updated lyrics and I love that Mogi synth line that comes in. Uh, which I would like to hear a little bit of. <laughs> That's at like 220. I just think it sounds so cool. Hell yes. Yeah, so we, good, man. we didn't even get to hear the the part that we were just discussing for like 45 minutes, but that's true. I feel like we need to hear a little bit of that. Sure. Yeah. So we maybe did that out of order, but yes, <laughs> we basically heard most of the song. It rules our shared number one. One of my favorite Pedro songs of all time. What a good song. Great, great song. All right. So <laughs> three songs in. Yeah. Uh, got I will our... not spend as long on these other songs. I promise. No, no. But there, there are some that I, I do want to yes. talk about, but those were the, those were the big ones. Yeah. Um, all right. Discretion. This is a an interesting topical uh, choice. Um, hmm. Do you know? Hey. I was going to say, you didn't think we'd get out of a Pedro album without a murder song, did you? 
<laughs> basically a, uh, a son wants to uh kill his mm. farmer dad but then but then twist the twist uh kills the asshole son yeah so the so i don't think it's based i think the dude loves a, a murder story and wanted to tell one <laughs> sure um yeah the 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 there's a guy presumably i mean he mentions the farmer's sweet young wife and i don't know if it's a you know this dude's this guy's an asshole as it said he hires a hitman to kill his dad who's a farmer and perhaps to be with the the wife i don't know but then the hitman decides actually i'm going to kill the asshole son um and then books it out of there in his van uh, weighing his most recent deviation from the plan, which feels again, the whole thing is kind of like this, you know, Flannery O'Connor, somebody we brought up. Yeah. It feels very much like that kind of story where these, these twists and turns and it's sort of a morality tale, but it's about awful things. Um, I don't know. I, I've always liked the song. Uh, I love that <clears throat> whistly high keyboard uh, yes. part that comes in throughout uh, cool guitar and bass parts. I think just a cool vibe. I like how it sort of vacillates between being chilled out and then aggressive and panicky, which like fits the storytelling of the song. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's fun. I don't have much to say about it, but I've always liked it. Uh, yeah. And also the, the verse four hired to hit the farmer by the farmer's asshole son. He had not yet decided between poison or a gun when suddenly he realized he would not use either one. Right. Maybe this idea that like, the fact that his son is dead would be, you know, enough. Yeah, I've heard that too. Uh, what I always thought was that he realized he wasn't going to use either one on the father. Like, instead, I'm just going to kill the son because this guy sucks. That's what right. I always took it as. Right. But maybe right. That, that this would, are you saying like this that, would kill the dad because through his grief or whatever? Metaphorically kill the dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I, <laughs> I feel like it took me a while to piece together sort of what I thought was actually happening. Yeah. And by the time I got to like, I think the hitman realizes halfway through this job that he's like, I should kill this guy instead because <laughs> it doesn't seem like I should kill this farmer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, it's a, you know, cool little twists of fate and stuff. Yeah. Arizona. Mm-hmm. Thank you. 
Oh, I love all those, all those <laughs> mogies. Um, I like this one. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's only okay. It's probably me. my least favorite on the album. It's my least favorite on the album. The metaphors are a bit heavy-handed. A little, little clunky. I mean, little, not clunky, but yeah, a little obvious. A little obvious. It's like, okay, yes, there's a love triangle or something. Arizona, yeah. California, New Mexico are three right. different people. Mm-hmm. But then it transitions into a second a secondary yes. metaphor with uh rock, <laughs> rock paper, paper scissors scissors yeah uh and, and so like hearing this sort of dramatic uh singing of of you know paper like it just seems a little <laughs> it just seems like a little over the top yeah no i get and, that and it just feels a little it kind of feels a little silly so um yeah yeah i think i remember him playing it live in this era and somebody asked you know john potter style like you know what is this song about is this a metaphor (laughs) is this a metaphor something like that and he was like you know yeah it's a love triangle represented by these big western states because i guess that's what does it for dave or something like that where he was like basically admitting like yeah it's kind of a weird analogy i don't know um I will say, but my favorite part is when he's like, when those harmonies come in, it's like, rock crushes, scissors. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, I like it fine. I like every song on this album, but it's, yeah, I would say it's not a standout for me. Yeah. That's all I got to say about it. Yep. But this song, though, this is mm, very interesting, interesting stuff. Song. Keep swinging. This song is so cool. I I I love there's there's like a uh Paul McCartney Beatles-esque yes. sort of bass thing going on yep. that I'm so into. I had the exact same thing in my notes. I said he Dave would always say over the years that the Beatles were a huge influence for him. And I remember like I didn't really always hear that, but then when I heard this song for the first time, I was like, oh, there we go. That's <laughs> like yeah. Kind of Sergeant Peppersy vibes here. That bass line, yeah, crushes. You're yes. right. It is kind of a Paul McCartney. It's just like doing its complete own thing. 
Um, I mean, this whole song, what makes it Beatlesy is like, it's weird. It's like the weirdest thing he's ever done at this point. Sort yeah. of. Yeah. It's great, but it's like, it's very sort of adventurous. Um, there's three part harmonies, which he's never done. Um, the, the sound and the song structure fit this sort of dizzying, confused vibe of like getting too drunk and it being sort of a bad scene. A very different <laughs> style of drunk song. <laughs> Right, than like the ones on Winners or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should say this one was co-written by T.W. Walsh, uh, the first of two songs with the credit by him on this record, which is unusual for Dave. Um, and it sounds different. Uh, and Casey Faubert, who we talked about last week, is on guitar on this song. And I think the guitar rules is kind of crunchy thing going on throughout. Um, but yeah, I, I think the sound reflects the state that he's in. And we're at a place now where, as you said, we're sort of wondering how blurry is the line between, is this a, a fabricated tale or is this an actual Dave story? Right. And right. as he's talked about, this was sort of the beginning of his drinking getting really rough in his actual life. And I would expect that this is probably <laughs> a true story. Uh, specifics. You know, he's talking about being in Chicago. Uh, right, right. He shit. He shits the bed at a hotel. Uh, you know, reflecting the sort of the bad place he's in. But he makes himself or the character look bad. You know, he says, you know, he shits the bed and he says she is a maid. I guess that's what she gets paid for. And yeah. it's like, oh, that's it's uh, a so bad like, look. <laughs> right. So I think he's just kind of saying, like, look, I'm I'm garbage. <laughs> like, I think that's sort of what the vibe is here. I'm not in a good way right now and yeah. take a you know make a fist and make a deep breath close your eyes these are all things to sort of like center yourself when you're super drunk i remember like being in college and getting the spins and putting one foot on the floor and just like feeling the room spin around and the song like captures that it just feels awful and i don't know I, I i think it's really cool though it's such a unique song for him that there's this cool keyboard part that comes in for the final chorus and that morphs into like almost like an alarm sound that runs through yeah. the outro where it's like, it's almost like to signal that he's like in a state of emergency or, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So cool. I will say the drums also kind of, he is kind of going off on this one, uh, whoever yeah. it is in a way that maybe some of these songs aren't. So yeah, I don't know it, into it. It's a, it's a weird one, man. It's weird one. I, I enjoy a little weird Bazan. Me too. He usually as a, somebody, Robert maybe alluded to plays bass live when he's got a band, which is cool. Yes. Um, and I'm always just, <laughs> I find it hard to play and sing at the same time, unless what I'm doing on the guitar bass is like pretty much matching, you know, the rhythm of whatever I'm singing. Right. And so the idea that he played, I remember him playing this live for the first time, just busting that bass line out the do as he's singing a melody that's totally different and just being impressed. You know what I mean? I know that's like not that big a deal for being a professional musician, but I'm just like, that's the kind of thing a bass player would like rock out on in the corner to themselves, but he's like the front man laying down that bass line. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, the i mean it's the same thing with like a drummer where you're just like yeah it's all of your limbs very independently <laughs> doing things <laughs> and like boom do 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 and like doing that sick bass line uh -huh. and then singing and then doing yeah. harmonies and like yeah, trying to track with the drums mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't get it. There's a lot. There's a lot going yep. on. So yep. kudos to him for pulling it off. Indeed. Here's another bummer song, Transcontinental. <laughs> Engine seven slower legs. I feel my bruised heart beating. Spinal cord remains intact. Still sending What a cool um, what a cool sound. It is really cool. I this is definitely one of the like breakout songs of the album. It it became a real live staple. He's played it in a lot of different versions. Um I guess I sort of think about it as like not that it's the same, but sort of the big trucks <laughs> vibe where it's like okay. obviously it's a depressing song, but it's like a little more upbeat musically. And maybe that's why it sort of resonates with people. It's never been like, I, I really like it to be clear. I think it's great, but it hasn't been, I think a lot of people will probably name this in their top three for sure. Oh, and it just hasn't been at that level for me. Um, but I think to your point, like it's similar to me to early Pedro and that it's like, uh, it works super well as just like a stripped down acoustic song. Like it's just got good bones as a melody. Yeah. It's, it's catchy. Um, and it's driven by that acoustic guitar. Um, I don't know. I think this, the drums sound like a train going over the railroad tracks throughout, which is cool. They're like, dun, 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 dun. Um, it, you know, it's a different sound, but it's, it's reminiscent of some early Pedro also in the sense that it's like an obviously depressing story <laughs> <laughs> about a guy whose legs are cut off by a train. Yep. Uh, and he basically remembers tales of other people in similar situations. You know, he calls them tales of bravery people who got out but he, he can't muster the strength to get out of it um so he says the luxury of having been spared the hard part you'd think would be enough for me to pull this off but i'm left to bleed to death now all the man i've ever known which feels not dissimilar to me to like i just can't lick this <laughs> you know it's like yeah. look i'm just i'm giving in to this and i can't really do anything about it and yeah i think this one may be based on some kind of true story i don't know i i don't remember him ever really explaining it but obviously imagining what might be going through the head of somebody who's got caught on the tracks and got your legs cut off and just dying there so yeah certainly a bummer <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, about as uh, yeah about as much of a bummer is a torso on the train tracks can be right yes pretty rough uh i will say like those those kind of flute sounding keys throughout are really cool i like those a lot um yeah musically really fun i don't know i i think it it's one that's made the cut at a lot of shows because it's sort of so easily transposed so like you could just do this solo with the guitar very easily or you know the string version again is cool full band version is cool so yeah Good um, melody. Yeah, I guess it makes me also think of um, 
Aaron Ralston, that sure <laughs> guy who uh got his arm chopped his arm off, yeah, chopped his own arm off when it got caught in like a boulder or something. He was one of the tales of bravery who that's that's true. He had to figure out a way. I would be like this railroad guy, I'd just be like, Well, I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm dead now. It's like I just like hope that, you know, maybe uh, some sort of uh, wild animal finds me before I like <laughs> have to like drink my own pee or something. Yeah, man. Tough stuff. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I do. This is a heavy song. Yes. About whether or not he would take back getting married or uh, bringing his son into the into the world. Mm -hmm. uh, Because he says, I thought to myself, if he only knew he would climb right back in. It's tough. He says, if I could take one back, I know what it would be. Mm hmm. Has have you ever heard him talk about this song live? I don't think so. I will say I really love this song. It's probably like it might be my number four. Interesting. Um, okay. I just think it's it's really pretty and warm sounding, even though it's horrendous. <laughs> yeah. Um, I how I've interpreted it is okay. So is this sarcasm or is this guy just an asshole? And I think it's the latter um at like you know kind of critiquing this kind of thinking um you know because you know the next line he says now that my blushing bride has done what she's born to do it's time to bury dreams and raise a son to live vicariously through like 
Very cynical. <laughs> Very cynical. I think to me that's like a critique of it's it's a window into this guy's thinking that he summarizes giving birth to his son, especially as being what she was born to do. Right. And now he won't pursue his own interests anymore, but live through his son's achievements or mold him into the kind of person he wants him to be. I take it as like a, you know, if not toxic masculinity, then at least a critique of sort of that kind of guy who's just like, you know, my wife's here to bring boys into the world and you now there's a boy here and I'll, now I got to live through him. And so I don't know, that's, that's kind of how I see it, but it's also like, it's clearly a depressed person <laughs> and right. he's projecting his depression onto the kid immediately. As you right. said, the second he sees him, he's like, Oh, you should just go back in. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I, it, I, I suspect that it was maybe him wrestling with the idea. I mean, he had a, a, a daughter first, so I don't know how um, personal is necessarily, but maybe having kids leads you to reflect on a situation like this. I take it to mean like he, if he could take one back, I know what it would be. It would be getting married. Cause then if he doesn't get married, there's no kid. He just, right. he's regretting his whole, his whole life <laughs> in life, I think is the, is the scene yeah. here. A man seeing his son being born and basically being like, I wish I could take it all back. It's the opposite of how I felt at my son's birth. So I was just like, my mind was blown by bringing new life into the world. I was crying tears of joy. And the idea that somebody would see them and be like, oh, fuck, I wish I could take this back is just like, oh, man, it's crushing. So I don't know exactly what the, you know, impetus behind its narrative is, but either way, it's a guy who's in a, in a, in a bummer way. Yeah. Um, but I just, I love that tremolo guitar sound in the verses throughout. And then that like delay comes in on the chorus and like, all the guitars throughout are awesome. There's kind of a groovy bass line going, spacey keys throughout. I don't know. So it's a super bummer, and it makes me a little uncomfortable, which I think is kind of supposed to be Yeah, the vibe you get. But I just love the sound of it. It's like this, and kind of a warm bath of a sad song. Yeah, you're in a warm bath and <laughs> folds of skin. <laughs> I do remember him saying that he his original lyrics were when his tiny head emerges from hair and folds of skin and his wife was like this too gross <laughs> so he changed it to blood and folds of skin <laughs> anyway still gross but you know <laughs> uh. yeah <laughs> oh dave Class oh, classic dave mm -hmm. old davy b mm -hmm. he's a goof yep um we're just keep keep right on chugging to uh, another uplifting song <laughs> yeah we say each one's a bummer like any other song is different <laughs> in that way <laughs> i know right <laughs> oh, yeah there's no there's no there's no uplifting song on this record <laughs> yeah uh, a, a simple plan oh, so good
Another song about a shitty dude who <laughs> is shitty to his family. Is he shitty or is he is he depressed? <laughs> or both? Well, I mean, both probably. I mean, like, so he, uh, yeah, it's a guy who's some sort of an activist fighting for um, ending class war and Mm-hmm. Now that that's done, he's like, I guess I got to just like now just work to take care of my family. Eh, I don't know. I think I'd rather put a shotgun in my mouth. <laughs> well, perhaps he's unwell. <laughs> I'm um, not, I'm, 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 it's, this is, I'm being a little reductive in, yeah. but like, you know, yeah. we fought for a decade, uh, for a decade corruption and greed it gave me a purpose a reason to breathe but now that it's over now that we've won i still sit in my bedroom alone with a shotgun to think of my family no longer compels me with all things in common they'll manage without me i mean it sounds like the kind of justification a suicidal person makes yeah so i guess i'm more empathetic to the plight of this guy (laughs) but i understand what you're saying i'm not i'm not (laughs) Look, we've had plenty of conversations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I understand. I understand the plight. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I guess for someone who's who no longer feels like they have purpose. Right. Yeah, I think that's what makes the song interesting. Is it's, again, like, what's another way I can talk about depression? Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, to me. I should say this is like another top three contender for me. I really like the song. It's like, again, that Mogi opening synth line that then turns into the lower bass line. Ooh, I love it. Um, But I think it's a fascinating idea for a story. Like to me, it almost feels like a short story that would be studied in classes or something. It's like, it packs a lot of commentary in with just these sparse details, but it's obviously some sort of, I took it to be like some imagined future where like society's wrongs have been made right. Like, I'm taking him at his word that like truly the class war is over. Things are good now. And they were part of this resistance for a long time. And now they live in this sort of utopia. And he's like, uh, why do I feel like empty? And the idea that like, you know, he doesn't know what to do without that purpose to focus on. I feel like that is sort of a metaphor for like, it's obviously not, you know, <laughs> overthrowing whatever evil system was in place and establishing a, a truly fair one but it's like wrestling with the idea of what do you do when you have something that gives you purpose and then that's gone i think it's an interesting way to sort of unpack that and that you know the song is called the simple plan obviously he has everything he wants in theory but decides by the end of the song that his simple plan is is suicide so like i don't know i i i am compelled by that story i think it's feels again sort of like has the satisfying narrative arc of like a short story to me but 
yeah and yeah. maybe i you know as i was saying i was being a little uh, yeah. snarky and reductive and everything sure. but i i understand the you know when you have something to distract you when you mm-hmm. have something to focus on it's easy to put off what some depressed people might find inevitable right so um, i'm recommending to this guy that he gets the shotgun out of the house like yeah that would be a good move um but uh i i I empathize with his plight yeah same one of the many reasons i do not own a gun yeah yeah they're bad they're bad they are bad for people with specifically very bad for people with mental health issues not because people with mental health issues are violent because they are more likely to use it on themselves bad for anybody i say yes no john (laughs) we're in agreement why are you waving your gun in my face (laughs) and your nra membership card yeah i know i how, what do you think about the my maga flag that i have up behind me now cool as hell many Don't people are saying me, <laughs> yes oh gross <laughs> all right start without me cool one uh another kind of different one this is one that's written by tw walsh right and and i've never really been able to track fully what the the narrative of the story is and this is one that i remember somebody asking dave what it was about he's like i don't really know (laughs) because tim wrote it i don't know if he really knows fully either but the way that i've interpreted it is it's like a gambler possibly addicted to drugs as well as gambling he's a dad a lot of like dads really going through it <laughs> on this album yeah which maybe says something about uh where dave and or tim walsh were at um but you know he his mistakes he, he claims that his mistakes are you know his pursuit of things like gambling they're done for his family uh maybe right. not dissimilar to the the dad in the last song in some ways um leaving cryptic messages for his wife as he's at the horse track or going out of town you know saying there's money behind every picture in the place and then this whole bridge of if it's once i've got it if it's twice i don't i don't know what that means exactly but i think i get the sense that he's in some sort of danger and perhaps put his family in a precarious situation too but it's like hey look if i get this coming in this money coming in then we're in good shape so that's kind of the way that i've taken it um i like the sort of crunchy guitar sound that comes in 
Uh, I think it has like a nice build, especially where it sort of drops out for the bridge and then comes in and it's kind of big power poppy, yeah. hooky, satisfying way, especially in the final chorus. So I don't know. It's not like my favorite. It's probably not in my like top half, but I do like the song. Yeah. I, I also like it, but it's, it probably falls somewhere in the, yeah. Uh, like in the Arizona uh, sure. area for me it, that it's it's fine but like I don't yeah know. there are any number of other songs on this record that i would much rather hear live or put on a, a mix than yeah. than this one no, i agree with that i feel like even the songs on this album that are at the lowest for me are still pretty great though so. yeah for sure for sure um and now the song that uh, makes me think of a simple plan, mm. uh, the poison. The poison makes its way through my body slowly to the pleasure centers of my Definitely feels like a Bazan specific song. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, like from his personal life? Maybe getting a little bit more personal as he's maybe in this era also wrestling with yes. the, the booze and... Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's a it's a heartbreak song. It's a, it's a relationship ending song yeah i think but obviously yes. as we've said he's in a a place of using alcohol to sort of drink into oblivion perhaps in his personal life and that certainly is in this song and it's in keep swinging and yeah, yeah. so i think his relationship to alcohol i feel is reflected here at this point in his life um yeah, yeah it, i mean it's a heartbreaker uh the idea of I was I found it very memorable what he refers to wanting to drink until there are X's on his eyes, like yeah. a cartoon or something, just being like, you know, everything is lost and I'm just gonna drink to not even feel it. So um can we listen to the saddest closing lines <laughs> to any album yes. ever? Yes. <laughs> Watch your true love 
Perf. <laughs> yeah. I do I mean it 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 hits you hard, but I do yeah. love it as an album closer. Oh, like I think it's it's the right choice. Ending. Yeah. It's the right choice. But fuck, man. <laughs> yeah. Tough. I I can't yeah. Yes. There are relatable elements to many of the songs on this album to people who have had struggles similar to Dave, uh, you know, in, in various ways. Yeah. And I'm doing my best in every sense of the word, but also doing my best to not fall victim to the abuse of substances to quiet Mm -hmm. yeah quiet my mind yes well i commend you for that i'm pounding this 12 percent and you're drinking your hop water so way to go (laughs) well not not tonight i'm not in general (laughs) yeah yeah i yes i think um he has talked about reckoning with his alcoholism and, you know, in the documentary, Estranged Negotiations, he's like, you know, where I came out is like, I didn't decide to quit drinking entirely. It's still part of my life, but it's like under control now. And it's not a problem in the way that it was. And the idea that he was, you know, in these songs, it's the context of a broken relationship or whatever. But in his life, it was largely to deal with this feeling of losing his faith and his identity and turning to booze to numb that pain among the other sort of pains he was feeling and just yeah what a what a precarious spot that is um because it's not sustainable and uh no i'm i'm very grateful he got out of that yes stage and was able to uh, come out of it and i hope anybody who listens and resonates with this stuff uh, is able to do the same so yes um heavy record <laughs> heavy as hell spent a lot of time talking about it i love it i've had so much fun talking about these sad songs <laughs> <laughs> these past few episodes they've really been i just have gotten so much meaning out of listening to these records in in in, in a way that uh warrants this in-depth discussion that we're able to do together so i'm grateful for it and i will say not to spoil any takes in our upcoming episodes mm. but the so next we're going to get to the, you know, Pedro 2.0, the, the reunited Pedro, their two new records. And I got to, you know, real talk, Andrew, mm. when they first came out, both Phoenix and Havasu was kind of like, eh, I don't know if this is like the Pedro for me and doing the deep dive on these couple albums, especially Havasu, the new album to prepare for our next couple episodes. I'm very grateful to the pod for this project of listening deeply. Cause now I'm, very into them and can't mm. wait to talk about them especially have a see as i said so anyway next week phoenix we will get to curse your branches on the patreon at some point in these coming weeks too because i feel like that's part of the whole experience there are many great bazan records to be found that we won't get to but i encourage everybody to listen to them too so i hope going through this has been meaningful you for you as well let us know what you think at magnified pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follow and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Give us a rating or a review. And Andrew, we put out the call 
Mm. We said, hey, those five-star reviews really help us. They push us up in the algorithm. It helps people find us. So leave us those reviews and we'll read them on the pod. And we got a couple of reviews to read here. Oh, shit. Label Daddy <laughs> says, this is like Blink-155, except the bands go to heaven in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark, Tom, Travis, and Satan. God rules. Five stars. <laughs> so thank you, Label Daddy. Um amazing eclectic music lover says apparently i was waiting for season four pop punk wasn't really my thing but i'm a sad bastard and the bands they're talking about this season are for me i appreciate the sharing of life and history for these guys because i'm on a similar journey to them and sometimes it gets lonely out there yes it does they have some real insight into the musicality and instrumentation on these records as well as the cultural and religious context they were made in and are much more than two random chads talking out their rears five stars so thank you eclectic (laughs) music lover we appreciate that we appreciate everybody listening throw us those five stars leave a a review an apple podcast will read on the pod we appreciate that you can email us and share your thoughts at magnifiedpod at gmail.com you can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763-8727-MAGPOD you can support us at the patreon patreon.com slash magnifiedpod and you can pick up some new season four merch at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com. Thanks to Small Step Records for sponsoring us. Check out smallstuprecords.com. And thanks to you, shadow producer Jason and Bruno at Unoriginal Vinyl for our artwork. Well, I think I hear the voice of the spirit begging us to shut the fuck up. We'll be back to try to make you go astray next week when we'll discuss Pedro the Lion's Phoenix. appreciate people calling in saying they appreciate our <laughs> you know i've always said <laughs> i've always said that our doodoo-gats are <laughs> underappreciated yeah so. i've been i've been waiting for someone to be like should you do got to get a good do is uh we don't have as much uh as much double time to uh to imitate the season so we gotta take our big fills when we can here yeah take our big fills with our big trucks oh yeah (laughs) for more shows like this one visit rockcandyrecordings.com